Welcome to the FinTech One-on-One Podcast, episode number 320. This is your host, Peter Renton, chairman and co-founder of Lendit FinTech. Today's episode is brought to you by Lendit FinTech LATAM, the region's leading FinTech event. It's happening both online and in person in Miami on December 7th and 8th. Latin America is still the hottest region for fintech in the world, and Lendit Fintech LATAM features the leading players in the region. So join the LATAM fintech community this year, where you will meet the people who matter, learn from the experts, and get business done. In-person and virtual tickets are available at lendit.com slash LATAM. Today on the show, we have someone who needs no introduction if you have been around the fintech space for any length of time. Renaud Laplanche is the CEO and co-founder of Upgrade. Uh, he also was the CEO and co-founder of Lending Club for many years. This is his uh, back for his third time on the show and really wanted to dig in today about the different uh, offerings that Upgrade has, what makes them different, what makes their credit cards so unique. We, we talk in, uh, about that in some depth. We talk about the lessons that he learned from Lending Club that he is now applying at Upgrade. We talk about raising money because there's very few people in the fintech space that can raise money like uh, Renaud Laplanche. We talk about going public, the public markets, the valuations that fintech companies are receiving today, and Renault opines on what uh, fintech trends he thinks are here to stay. It was a fascinating interview. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to the podcast, Renault. Thank you, Peter, for having me. Glad to be back. Okay. Yes, this is this is actually your third time on the show, but actually. Only the first since you've uh, been at Upgrade, so good to have you again. Maybe we could get started by, I'd love to kind of get your perspective on how you describe Upgrade today. So Upgrade is now really a neobank, offers affordable credit and, and responsible credit to, to consumers, and, and is really attempting to deliver more value and a better experience to consumers than traditional banks. Okay. Okay. So I'd like to go through some of the different uh, things you're doing and, and find out where it's at. So you started off with the uh, unsecured consumer loan. Is that still a big part of your business? Is it growing? Tell us about that. Yeah. So credit in general is a very big part of what we do. And, and even though uh, you're right, we moved beyond credit, we are still what we call a sort of credit-led neobank. I think there are two types of neobanks around the world. There's sort of Nubank in Brazil, um, Upgrade in the US, maybe Tinkoff in, in Russia, that really started with credit and, and often lead with credit in the consumer relationship. Others, um, like the Chime, Dave in the US, and maybe Revolut and N26 and Monzo in Europe, that really started from the debit side of things, payments and debit and uh, might be moving into credit at, at some point. So we are sort of credit-led. We think it, it's a better positioning. If nothing else, credit is 70% of bank's revenue. In right. the US. Uh, so it is a very big part of banking. But it also has to do with who our customers are. You know, customers are very mainstream. We're trying to appeal to a very broad uh, audience. And uh, on average, we're like 40-year-old, they're an $100,000 individual income, they, they have 
mortgage, a car loan, a credit card. So they, they use credit, the, the means to support it. They're pretty heavy credit users. Uh, so for all these reasons, credit is a really important part of what we do. And you're right, we started with personal loans uh, in 2017. Uh, that's still a, a very big part of the business. It's more than half of the revenue uh, still today. And it is growing really fast. I mean, we, I mean, in total, we did about $7 billion in credit, uh, loans and cards since inception. And uh, we're doing another $7 billion just this year. Wow. Uh, so we're doing as much this year as we did in the last four years. Wow. And so you launched the Upgrade card probably a couple of years ago now, I'm guessing, maybe even maybe three years ago. But uh, I remember the time we chatted and I was concerned that it was not going to be very easy to, for the consumer to understand. It's not like a traditional credit card. So... How are you positioning the upgrade card today and do consumers get it? Yeah, so, I mean, we believe upgrade card is the only credit card that's good for you. Uh, It's a a credit card that gives you access to credit when you need it at at the point of sale. Uh, It has that flexibility and convenience of credit cards, but it also comes with a lower rate, no fees, and really the discipline of paying down your balance uh, every month at a fixed rate with fixed monthly payments. So same discipline as a personal loan, but embedded into a, a card. There are several ways to, to think of it as a business, where one would be a sort of hybrid between traditional credit card and, and a loan. Another is just a more responsible and, and lower cost credit card. And yet another one is BNPL, right? It's sort of a buy now, pay later facility sort of embedded into a card, right? It helps spread large purchases over several months, which is really what BNPL does. So we, we have a lot of tools available to us to, to explain it. The question is, how do you distill it to a, a very sort of uh, simple, easy to understand message for consumers? I think we, we typically take the, the angle of cost, right? It's a sort of lower cost, more responsible credit card. And, and because it's lower cost in many ways, right? It's lower cost because the rate is low, because there's no fees. Also because the balance amortizes down faster. So you, you end up having less outstanding balance at any point in time. So even, even if the rate was the same, the cost, the overall cost for consumers will be, will be lower. So we typically lead with uh, sort of lower cost, but then uh, I think a lot of benefits are really discovered by our customers over time. They, they might not understand every aspect of how different it is from the get-go, uh, but they really sort of learn to appreciate these benefits as they use the card. Do they amortize, like say someone does a thousand dollars worth of purchases in the first month, does that $1,000 balance amortize, is it three years, two years? And do they get a choice or is it set into the product? Yeah, we can choose. Could be two, three, five years. Often depends on how big of a balance that is and then um, how much we want to stretch it. But you're right. It's, uh, it's really the main feature of, of the card. The main way it's different. It's that amortization feature that, that really makes it more responsible than a typical credit card and avoid the... Sort of never-ending, revolving debt trap uh, that so many families fall into. Here, you you access credit when you need it, and then you pay it down over a set time period. 
the people, I guess, who are attracted to it are people who want to avoid that minimum balance trap because it is obviously they're going to have a higher monthly payment to make each month. But as you say, they pay it off much quicker. They save a lot in interest over the life of it. So are, are the people who, are, like, are they self-selecting as being more responsible? It's not for everyone. Right? There are a lot of consumers who are perfectly happy kicking the can down the road and, and not paying the balance uh, every month. And, and clearly, for them, the, the upgrade card isn't, isn't the right choice. But I think there's a growing contingent of consumers who understand that credit cards are bad for you. Right? Credit cards lead you into more debt, are very, very expensive, and ends up being very high cost. And I think that's one of the reasons BNPL is so attractive and successful and, and why so many people are drawn to the, um, to the upgrade card. Do you have other cards as well? I know you, uh, I think it was just earlier this year, I saw you released a Bitcoin rewards card. And I, I think that was a debit card from memory. I can't remember what, but you do have debit cards as well. Tell us some of the other card offerings. Yeah, so there, there are different flavors of the upgrade card. So upgrade card is, is a credit card, but there are different uh, rewards programs. In any case, all of the rewards flavors have something in common that we, we really are um, proud of, which is we believe a good card is the only card that, that's good for you. And, and the rewards program really encourages consumers to pay down their debt, right? We are trying to reward consumers for doing the right thing, for doing what's, what's good for them in, in the right place. So pretty much all of our credit cards reward consumers for spending, we do the opposite. We reward them for paying it back. So the, the reward payment is made when consumers uh, pay down their debt. So if it's a 1.5% cashback reward, they make their payment and they get 1.5% cashback at the time they make that payment. So it's really encouraging them to pay down their debt. It's not in our interest, but it's in our customers' interest. To, to right, right, right. And the different flavors, so they... So the basic card is 1.5% uh, cashback on all charges. Uh, we have a triple reward card that gives 3% rewards on home expenses, um, auto and health categories. So if these are three categories uh, you spend a lot on, uh, you might want to get that card. It's 3% rewards on these three uh, categories and 1% on everything else. Instead of getting 1.5% on everything, you get three on one. So you really can choose depending on, on where, where you spend the most. We, we selected these three categories because they're sort of like pandemic friendly, right? They're, they're the areas where I've been spending more over the last 18 months. If I'd be nice to, uh, uh, to do something there. And then you're right. We, um, just about a month and a half ago, we launched that uh, Bitcoin reward card which is also 1.5% that paid in Bitcoin. So in addition to the sort of immediate benefit of the rewards, you get some potential appreciation there if the, the price of Bitcoin continues to, um, to rise. Are you partnering with like Coinbase or Gemini? Who are you partnering with on that? Yeah, we, we're partnering with Nidig. Uh, Nidig, okay. Okay, and then you also have a... Um like a checking account, right? Or with, um, I think it was with Cross River Bank, if my memory serves me correctly, but maybe you could just describe the, the checking account you have. So you're right. That's where the, the debit card comes into play. We really wanted to deliver a rewards sort of checking account that really caters to a very mainstream audience. A lot of the neobanks in, in the US uh, focus on 
some categories of underbanked populations where either of lower income, younger consumers, so people who aren't necessarily are like squarely in the target of the, of the main banks. Our customers are different. Again, they're, they're 40 year old, they're pretty established uh, personal finances, and they, they're all fully banked, BOV, Wells, or, or, or CD. We believe we can give them more, more value and a better experience than they're getting from their traditional bank. So, so for that type of, of consumer, again, credit is a very big part of banking. But in terms of non-credit products, they're not necessarily going to be moved by sort of getting their paycheck two days early, right? They're not living paycheck to paycheck. I think what, what they're really going to be interested in is sort of getting more value from their bank relationship. So the, the three main sort of, uh, sort of value propositions of our rewards checking account are ones sort of no fees uh, at all, including sort of ATM fee uh, reimbursement uh, five times a month. So that, that covers pretty much every trip to the ATM. The second is really the top of the market rewards. So 2% cash back on everyday expenses and, uh, and monthly subscriptions, which is really hard to get anywhere. And uh, the third one is really tying it all together. So for consumers who uh, bank with upgrade, uh, they get a sort of lower rate on an upgrade loan or higher limit on their upgrade card. So there are certain relationship uh, benefits. And are you finding that people are taking up the checking account in order to sort of get those additional benefits of lower interest rates and that sort of thing? Uh, absolutely. And it, it makes sense um, in many ways, right? I mean, when, when we get the, the bank account, that gives us a lot of additional data we can use for underwriting and, and servicing. So that helps us lower risk and that justifies in the lower rate on, on the loans. And for consumers, it's also easier to apply because we already have most of their data. So there are, there are many uh, benefits there. I remember when we, we chatted soon when you launched Upgrade and you were really focusing on this, this credit health part and you've got this credit health monitoring now. You've had it for a while. Tell us how that's going and what, what data you have to demonstrate. Are, are your customers actually improving their financial health? Yeah, yeah. So the, the adoption and the, uh, the usage rate uh, have been pretty good. So about 25% of our customers use uh, Credit Health at least once a month. So the, the most popular features there are free credit score, credit score monitoring, credit alerts, and what we call a credit score simulator. It really helps you sort of visualize all your credit lines, all your debt, and uh, simulate the impact on your credit score of financial decisions you might be making. So if you decide to get another credit card or pay off a credit card, close a credit card account, make an additional payment towards your, your mortgage or your auto loan, all these things would have uh, an impact on your credit score. That's not necessarily uh, intuitive. Uh, sometimes it is quite counterintuitive. So it's great to have this ability to, to simulate that, that impact before making the actual decision. And so that's a pretty, pretty popular tool. And we've seen impact. I mean, the, the, those uh, customers who use credit health at least once a month or 40% uh, less likely to, to go late on their loans or, or card. We've seen a lot of, of benefits there. Okay, I want to switch gears a little bit. And um, we haven't mentioned Lending Club yet. Obviously, the, the first company you founded in this space. Maybe you could sort of give us some insight into what were the lessons you took from your days at Lending Club? You were there for, you know, it was like 10 years or so. What were the lessons you've taken to that you've implemented at Upgrade? 
So there were many, right? I'm, I'm sort of 10 years wiser. <laughs> right. And in general, I mean, the space has come a long way, right? At, at Landing Club, we were really sort of pioneers in, in fintech. There are a lot more things that the industry has figured out. But I think probably the, the main uh, learning would be in terms of product strategy. I think Landing Club, like many other first generation fintechs, was focused on a single product and then trying to, to get it exactly right and uh, really deliver sort of more value than the banks with that particular product. And it, it took us, I mean, in hindsight, it probably took us too long to, to diversify into other products. And when we did, we probably went first with like small business loans, which was a good product in itself, but didn't have a lot of overlap or synergies with personal loans for consumers, different customer base, obviously, so pretty much no cross-selling opportunity. So upgrade is sort of the opposite of that. I mean, all of our products are very complementary to each other and they target the exact same consumer segment, which is a broad uh, segment, but you can see a, a very high sort of attach rate already uh, with sort of loan customers, so consumers coming to us asking for, for a personal loan to refinance their credit card balance. I mean, we, we know they're credit card users. And once they, they refinance that balance at a lower lower rate, that's great for to take care of past purchases, but they're not going to stop using a credit card going forward. So rather than going back to their BOA card and pay a high rate, high fees and having to refinance again a year later, why not directly get onto a, an upgrade card, which is a card you'll never have to refinance. We see a lot of complementarity uh, in terms of customer lifecycle. And, and obviously, when you bought on the sort of mobile banking on top of that, that really wraps it all together, gives us additional data, gives us more frequency of use, make the brand more relevant in the everyday life of our customers. Okay. And so I remember at one stage, you were the largest individual shareholder of Lending Club stock. Do you still own shares of Lending Club? Yes, plenty. Plenty. I'm, okay. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a happy shoulder. Yes. And they've had a nice little run-up uh, in, in recent weeks. Which is, uh, I'm sure you're happy about that. So I want to talk about raising money because you've done an amazing job of this over the years. Now you're, you're really one of only two people who have ever started uh, multiple fintech companies that have become unicorns, the other being Mike Cagney, who is also great at raising money. But how are you able to continue to attract investors at ever-increasing valuations. How are you able to raise so much money? Luck uh, is a big part of it. I mean, uh, when fintech became so very popular with, with investor, part of us was out doing, but a lot of it wasn't, right? It's just uh, so a lot of companies got to scale over the last five years. And, and so when you see sort of Robinhood at, at 40 billion, Coinbase at 80 Upstart now at more than 20 billion, uh, Affirm 30 billion. So it's, it, it obviously, uh, sort of creates a sort of a lot of interest from, uh, from investors looking for the next Affirm or for the next Coinbase and being sort of a lot more willing to invest at three, five, 10 billion when there are now examples of, uh, companies worth sort of multiples of that. I think it was harder to drive valuations at Lending Club when for the entire space, when we were the, the highest valued 
company and we, we couldn't really point at an example of a fintech company worth a multiple of what we were worth at the time. But you still raised plenty of money there at the good valuations. At the end of the day, what investors like is uh, sort of growth and profitability, right? A lot of these companies aren't profitable. So upgrade is profitable. Upgrade has the benefit of, of doing both. Right? We, we up four times from last year. So we, we did about 100 million in revenue last year. We're on track for 400 uh, this year. Wow. Um, so it's spectacular growth and profitability, which is, which is really a, a rare combination. But, but even when, when profitability doesn't happen right away, I mean, you can, you can show uh, investors that on a cohort basis, they, so once you've paid back the, uh, the customer acquisition cost and the onboarding cost, then the, these accounts become profitable quite quickly. And I think another part of what drove fintech valuations higher and, and we certainly benefited from is we really moved from a framework of like one-time revenue like we had with, with personal loans at Landing Club and in the early days of Upgrade to more recurring revenue, almost like a SaaS model. Once we, we put the cards in the hand of, of the customers, if we do a good job and, and continue to deliver good, good service and good value, that card is going to generate revenue forever. And so we, we see this really very steady stream of sort of $20 per user per month type of revenue that's very predictable. And so it's almost like a SaaS model and, and investors obviously have a lot of appetite for that because they, they can see a lot of predictability for each cohort of, of customers and, and they can see the, the cohorts getting ba- bigger right. every month. Uh, so it's a, it's a good it's a good combination. So then, what about you know once you get up to these kind of valuations, the t- talk obviously turns to the public markets. And I think I've read something about you saying that you are considering going public at some point. And I remember when we chatted um, when you started Upgrade, you were sort of uh, somewhat reticent to explore that, given what uh, what happened last time. But maybe you could say, what will you do differently, given? Um, we're not going to get into what happened in 2016, but obviously that was a really seminal moment in many ways for fintech. But so, what are you going to do differently as you approach the public markets now? One, one thing is the public markets have changed, right? And it's I think there's less of a dichotomy published public private investors. And there are a lot of crossover funds now. Some some people who have been investing in, in fintech for five years who are also very active players in the in the public market. Right. Um so I think with Lending Club we sort of there's one of the bad things about being a pioneer is you uh you gotta sort of educate uh everyone for the first time. And at that time you really had sort of private investors who got it and had been investing in, in fintech and, and public investors who for the most part never had a chance um, to invest in the space and, and knew very little about it. Uh, so I think that education process has, has been done now. There are a lot more crossover funds, so the as players are sometimes are the same. We learned a lot as well, right? We, to the point I was making earlier, I think there's a very critical difference between a sort of getting like one-time revenue per customer with a personal loan, with maybe the hope of, of a second loan in year two or three, but where you, you have a situation where you have to uh, really earn and generate new revenue every quarter, which was the case with personal loans, from a situation with sort of upgrade card and, and mobile banking, 
where and, and many of the fintechs that are going public now, where uh, you have a, sort of a card in the hands of a customer or an account that generates revenue every month, that makes the the revenue a lot more a lot more predictable. I think the, the short thesis on Landing Lab was really two things. Uh, one, hey, they have to generate revenue every quarter, and so what happens if they can't find new customer acquisition uh, channels or, or increase the ones they have? But two, there's also this notion that we had to find new loan buyers every every quarter or or continue to to sell more. And that market has also changed a lot. I mean, the depth in that market is is incredible. Now it's at the beginning, uh, any club were at the beginning of selling loans to banks. Now it's really hard to find any of the top 100 banks that's not buying loans from from fintech companies or, or platforms. So I think times have changed quite a bit. A follow-up there. I wanted to ask about board makeup. The events of 2016 when, um, were, were obviously driven by, in many ways, uh, the board that you put together. How are you thinking about board makeup now and adding new board members uh, at Upgrade? We learned quite a bit there as well. I think one of the mistakes we made at, at Landing Club was building this sort of celebrity board that uh, really helped to put us on the map and, and generate a lot of press when the company was in its uh, infancy, but sort of backfired, obviously, in, in 2016. The way the great board has been assembled is really based on sort of skills and sort of experiences and complementary skills and experiences. We have people who are sort of extremely good in sort of different areas of, of the business, uh, some in, in risk management, others in compliance, others in banking and customer acquisition. They don't necessarily have a big uh, sort of personal brand that they would need to uh, to, to protect uh, against the, the interest of the company. Yeah, they're just like sound, good uh, decision makers who really have made sort of great decisions for us so far. Right. Okay, we're almost out of time, but before I let you go, a couple more things I want to get to. As you look over at the fintech landscape today, I mean, what are the trends that you think are going to prove sustainable and what are the things that you think will will fall by the wayside? The big thing that happened in the last 18 months is like how much more broad-based uh, fintech adoption has been. I think the, the, the millennials uh, were already there. I think what happened in the last 18 months is a lot of bank branches closed down and a lot of more mature consumers who had grown up sort of driving to a branch and, and that was their, their banking experience. During that time, they had no, um, no other choice than going online or, or, or on their mobile. And uh, that really has spurred a sort of acceleration in that adoption. I don't think they're going back. <laughs> I mean, they, now they, they, they realized for the most part that there is no reason to, to drive to the branch and you can do all these things remotely. So I think that's, that's here to stay. I mean, the banks are going to continue to, to get better at what they do and, and there's going to be a sort of back and forth and, and some banks are getting good at sort of innovating. But in general, I think it's safe to say that uh, smaller, more nimble startups built on a more modern technology stack and with a sort of younger talent pool are probably going to keep the edge and, and keep innovating faster than, than banks could. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Yep. So, so I mean, last question then. You know, what, what's your vision for Upgrade? Is this going to be 
a massive company of one of the major players of the 21st century or what or what where are you taking this Yes, I couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> One of the major players of the 21st century. Uh, that's exactly what the plan is. Yeah, I mean, we, we are trying to build a mainstream consumer brand uh, that people love and uh, and use. And, and so we, we are developing uh, sort of innovative products that we think are better, fundamentally better for people. I mean, the, the upgrade card is, is a big part of it. But generally, the upgrade brand is all about sort of giving our customers better tools, better products so that they can make better financial decisions and upgrade not only their credit, but really upgrade their, their financial situation and get to a better place. And if we can do that well and continue to reach a broad audience and, and design products that are appealing to a really broad swath of the population, I think we'll continue growing fast and, um, and uh, continue building up the brand. Okay, well, we'll have to leave it there. I know it's it's always great chatting with you. Thank you, uh, thank you so much for coming on the show today, and best of luck. Thank you, Peter. It was great to be on the show again. Okay, see ya. You know, in many ways, when I look back at Lending Club, and obviously a company I've been following for really since two thousand and nine when I started investing. You know, they were a trailblazer and, you know, really there was no game plan. There was no formula that they could follow because others had gone down before. I mean, they, Lending Club were in many ways um, forging a new trail. Now with Upgrade, I think it's, it's such a different time, as Renaud mentioned there. Not only is it a different time, but he's able to learn from, uh, from what worked and what didn't work uh, at Lending Club and uh, apply that to Upgrade. And, and then have to have investors really understand what uh, what they're trying to do and what we're all trying to do here in fintech, and have lots of investors interested in the space. It really, in many ways, it, this is the golden age of fintech, and Renault is extremely well positioned here to to take advantage of that investor appetite. Anyway, before I sign off, I just want to remind you, if you haven't yet done a review of the show, we would really appreciate it. If you think the show is great, please give it five stars on the podcast platform of your choice. Uh, I'd really appreciate that. I certainly read every review uh, that uh, comes along. Anyway, on that note, I will sign off. I very much appreciate you listening and I'll catch you next time. Bye. Today's episode was brought to you by Lend Fintech LATAM, the region's leading fintech event. It's happening both online and in person in Miami on December 7th and 8th. Latin America is still the hottest region for fintech in the world, and Lended Fintech LATAM features the leading players in the region. So join the LATAM fintech community this year where you will meet the people who matter, learn from the experts, and get business done. In-person and virtual tickets are available at lendit.com slash LATAM. 